Xgrowth has helped B2B tech companies design campaigns that open doors in their strategic target accounts, roll out targeted ABM programs, scale ABM programs, and select the right tool and tech stack for a successful ABM initiative. These are all things Xgrowth has helped their clients with. If you're interested to learn how Xgrowth can help your firm's ABM program, check out Xgrowth at xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au and chat with the APAC ABM agency. What's up, marketers, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Colony Podcast. I'm Liza from Xgrowth to tell you that each episode we bring in B2B leaders to chat about the yeses and nos to achieving those everyday wins in the marketing world. Whether you're new to the B2B game, working at a leadership level, or even just showing some interest, we know you'll love the episode. So grab a drink, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with Xgrowth and today I'm talking to Theo Nasser, Chief Executive Officer at Right Hand Cybersecurity about, as a startup, how did Right Hand build its customer acquisition channel and was able to land large enterprise accounts, something that is not an easy feat to accomplish. So super excited to uh, have this podcast and, and have a chat with Theo. And uh, Theo, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Absolute pleasure. Let's dive into a little bit of background on Right Hand. Can you paint a little bit of a picture for us in terms of how did Right Hand get started? Sure, absolutely. So, so Right Hand Cybersecurity, what we do is we provide a modern security awareness platform for businesses. Roughly 82% of all data breaches are actually caused by employees. Good corporate citizens that unfortunately just don't necessarily know the do's from don'ts from operating a computer and working online. So we provide a platform to help them work and, and operate more safely while connected to the internet. And I, I started the business a couple of years ago. I've been in cybersecurity now for over 10 years. So I've, I'm familiar in the industry and I just repeatedly always felt like this was an underserved space. Most security vendors that are out there today, they're actually really focused on the perimeter. They're trying to block or detect or prevent an external attack or external threat from bypassing that perimeter layer and circumventing that perimeter layer to ultimately steal something from within the network, whether that be data or money or credentials. And I felt like the human element was just vastly underserved. So that's why I decided to start this business. Awesome. Awesome. Now, I mean, startup world, you have to land those those customers. I want to I want to start with you have some some amazing names. How did you manage to land some of these large customers as a, as a startup? Because cybersecurity space, it's a tricky space. It's all about how established you are and how well, well known you are and all that stuff. And, and, and I feel like startup companies have even a harder time, especially landing larger organizations. How did you, what was, what was that playbook like? And how did you go about landing those first few decent customers? So it, it's definitely evolved. If you're specifically asking about the first few, right? So just to kind of paint the picture, 
what you're describing is the very the earliest stages of a startup where all of the go-to market is founder-led. Maybe you and your co-founder or just a few members of a team have, have just recently launched an MVP, a very early stage product to, to the market, something that needs a lot more work, but something that you want to get in the hands of your customers. And I, it, it sounds like your question is at that early stage, how do you actually get this in the hands with enterprises or really anybody um, at, at that really early stage when you don't have a brand or something that's really overly evolved or mature? The, the way that I've always approached it specifically at that stage is I actually don't necessarily see it as selling just through the, the traditional definition of, of selling or sales. I really look at it as trying to find design partners, trying to inspire someone to say, this is how we see the future. Do you see the future in a similar way? And would you like to partner together to help change that future together? So when we were really just getting started, when I was giving presentations or demos, if you could even call them demos at that early stage, because there really wasn't much to demo. It was more just around telling the story of this is, these are the observations of what we've seen in the market. These are the problems that we constantly hear. Does any of this resonate with you? And when we were having those types of conversations with security leaders and business leaders, when we would find those that actually felt the same way where that story resonated, we would try to pivot the conversation into, well, would you be interested in being part of the solution to, to try to actually fix that? And the way that we would position it is in a way where it was mutually beneficial for both parties. Obvious, uh, obviously, us as the startup is getting a ton of value to have that design partner and that early stage adopter. But from their perspective, if we could build something that could be you know, a little bit closer fit to what their organization needs. They get to provide that direct input. They get to feel as though that they're part of the solution, actually building something, not buying something off the shelf. It's actually a really empowering feeling for a customer. So at the, those really early stages, I guess just to summarize, I, we didn't approach it as selling. It was more around inspiring and designing in tandem with an early adopter. Right. It, it definitely sounds like a more of a partnership relationship and, hey, we're on this together versus, hey, we got this thing. Do you want to buy? Which I love it. How did that evolve that you're, you're kind of like your sales and marketing motion? How did that evolve over time? We were in that phase really until we felt as though we had something, a, a product, a, an actual something to sell that was ready for, for more scale. So once we started gaining some traction using that approach that I had described, we were able to get some customers on board. And thankfully, as you build those relationships with those customers, you know, they help design something and then they say, okay, when, when you build this thing that we're designing together, I'll buy it. And then they buy it and then they're happy and they tell their friends and you start to build some momentum, right? You, you can kind of think of it that as that snowball rolling down the hill and becoming a larger snowball as you build that momentum, what we what we started to do was kind of piggy tail on the back of that. You start to put together a case study and then you start to put together a couple case studies and then you start to, you know, maybe host a, a webinar with that customer if they're willing to do something like that, if they're willing to put their name, their brand, their reputation and tie that to your company and to your name and to your brand and reputation. And 
that was something that I always found was really powerful, you know, as opposed to marketing yourself as a startup saying, look at these great things we're doing, having other people talk about you and sharing about the great things that you're doing. That was a really powerful way to, to just kind of help find other people who are interested to hear your story as well. And from there, once we started kind of getting a couple of those wins under our belts, we started to develop a process. Well, what message was resonating? How can I document this? How can I go from me as a founder, hustling, running around, telling stories, meeting people, networking to how can I actually document a process for sales or for storytelling or for inspiring an early adopter? How can I actually put something on paper and turn it into a scalable process. What tools do I need to use? How do I manage that sales cycle? And then through that, you start to build a process, a sales playbook and a methodology that can ultimately start to, to scale the, the early elements of a go-to market. What was the, the most challenging piece to scale the sales process beyond yourself? There's a lot of challenges with that. I, I mean, I, I think that shift... I mean, books have been written on this, right? Going from founder-led sales to process-led sales and team-led sales. It, it's, I, I mean, you look at the people element is extremely difficult, right? You, you're, you're looking for people when you're, when you're hiring and finding people to join you on that journey. You're not just finding a salesperson, someone who's good at sales. You, you need to find someone who can really do a lot with very little. When, when you're working at a startup and you're one of the early sales hires, you don't have a product marketing organization. You don't have a robust marketing engine or team or you know possibly a, a small brand that you have to go sell a relatively unheard of and unknown brand. You're dealing with potential competitors that could have 10x the amount of funding or 10x the amount of presence, more than you know 100x. Who knows? Uh, just depending on the market that you're in. And so you know it's so important to make sure you have the right people along for that journey. Definitely, I'd, I'd consider that to be the most important thing. You got to make sure you have the right partners that you're you're bringing on board to support you with that. And then and then from there, it's. Well, what am I doing to empower those people and make them successful? You've got to put a lot of time into the technology that you use. What's your sales tech stack? If you kind of break down your sales motion into different sales stages, what am I using as a database tool? Am I personalizing every email? Am I automating my emails? What am I using for phone calls or cold calls? Am I recording those calls? How am I managing those reps and those individuals who are making those calls? What are the KPIs for those individuals? How can you set those people up for success with the right tools, the right process? And then, of course, your product. Once you start to get more customers on board, you're now dealing with obviously supporting those existing customers. But when you get in those early sales cycles now with sales reps, they're selling a mixture of vision combined with what already exists today. So is that sales pitch more of a vision pitch? This is what we're trying to build, kind of like the, the early days that I described, or are you really just focused on what is tangible and available to be purchased? And how can you make sure you make that crisp? How can you make it consistent? You don't want different people saying different things. So there's really a lot. I mean, the whole thing's, the whole thing's difficult. It's just a matter of putting as much process around it as possible. Yeah, right. I, I, yeah, I love that. I mean, I, I can t- totally relate to some of these challenges that you, you talked about. And 
And putting a price is sometimes not as easy, especially if you're very sales oriented and, and might not have that. One's strength might not be in process creation and, and that makes it even more challenging. Theo, we talked about quite a lot about the, the sales arm of it, right? Has Have you put anything in place from the marketing side and acquiring either leads or going after, you know, it, whether it's inbound or outbound, but has there anything, have you put in anything in place from the marketing side or right now the organizations is predominantly sales and prospect and sales development led? Our business specifically, we, we started with the outbound motion. It just us going out hunting and having as many conversations as possible allowed us just to hear more what the market was thinking, what they thought, the way that we would approach a lot of those conversations were, you know, we'd love to share with you what we've built. We'd love to collect your feedback. So it was really effective for that. Once you kind of solidify what it is you have and you start to, you know, either approach or achieve product market fit. That's when I, I think founders start to feel really comfortable in investing more money into those other elements of a go-to market. So if you're describing like a digital marketing strategy, investing in SEO, maybe it's paid ads, maybe it's just a just a more robust marketing and brand presence that allows you to have an inbound funnel. At least the way that I approached it is I wanted to make sure that I was able to check a lot of those other boxes. So when we did start making those investments into the go-to market and the marketing and the brand and, and all of those other things, I felt more comfortable that we were investing in the right things as opposed to just kind of spraying and praying or, you know, using it as, as just a, I was trying to minimize trial and error, I guess is the way that I would describe it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Talking about uh, trial and error, I want to dig into some specific mistakes you've you've made along the way building this acquisition channel for uh, for the company. What are what are the you know when you think about mistakes building right hand cybersecurity's um, acquisition channel? What are some of the major mistakes that come to mind? You're like, oh man, we we made this 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 was really painful. Or that was really painful. What comes to mind? Gosh, I mean, I mean, there's so many, so many things, right? I'm, I'm a right-hand cybersecurity. This is the first company that I've started. So as a first-time founder, there are really countless things that when you look back, you're like, wow, I, you know, at the time, in the moment, based on the set of information that I had, I thought this was the best course of action. And now that I've actually lived through it, I've, I've seen the result. These are, th these are some things that I would tweak. I'll give you an example, just specifically if we're staying on the topic of sales and go-to market. Right. I was, I come from a sales background is probably some helpful context. So I've been in a variety, a majority of sales roles. I've been an SDR, I've been an account manager. I've operated and ran a channel sales model, a direct sales model. I've, I've been a, a regional sales director. I've managed teams. I felt very comfortable in that sales role as kind of that business commercial oriented co-founder with my 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 co my other co-founder kind of taking everything over on the technical and, and engineering and product side of things and i felt comfortable owning it for a, a while because it's just something that i had done looking back i wish that i actually started the process of scaling it out and bringing people on board and taking that process that i had documented into a playbook i wish i did it sooner now, there are a lot of factors that I guess weighed into my decision of why we did it when we did. You know, at the time, COVID was a, a really 
big impact. It was impacting obviously a lot of businesses. And I wanted to make sure I wasn't necessarily hiring someone at a, a bad time when budgets were freezing. Uh, that wouldn't have been fair to that individual and it probably wouldn't have turned out successful for either side. So I said, let me kind of navigate through a, a rough patch if there is going to be one. And what ended up happening for a couple of years is while, while a lot of businesses did experience challenge, cybersecurity kind of catapulted forward. Exploded, right? Organizations, yeah. <laughs> organizations, they all started, everyone was working remote. The the Just the, the sheer volume of cyber attacks exponentially increased. Right. And so as we started seeing that, I was like, oh, gosh, we got to we got to get this moving. And so then we started, of course, fixing that and, and writing that course and getting people on board and starting to scale. But, you know, the initial hesitation, just a, just a small initial hesitation could impact several months for a startup. Right. If you're if you go from not even thinking about bringing someone on board to saying, OK, let's actually start this process and start hunting, start interviewing. And then, you know, people having one to two month notice periods before, you know, it, it's like, wow, I just actually lost a quarter. So, you know, that, that was one of the things that I kind of think back on was you just really have to go off instinct, right? If you feel as though as the founder, because no one knows as the founder, no one knows your business, no one knows your market, your competitive landscape, your niche, your buyer, no one knows that better than you. And, you know, if, if you kind of trust your instincts more often than not, I think it should guide you in the right direction, but that doesn't mean you're always going to be right. And so what I've realized is you just got to really be open to to doing a self-audit, identifying the areas of where improvement was needed, and then you know making sure you write those courses if you have the opportunity in the future. Looking back at that, when do you think would have would be the right time to do scale the sales team like what are some of the main components that or main boxes that need to be checked from your angle to be like okay now we go now we should scale i think the the obvious indicator is product market fit and as a founder it's it's something that you 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 just feel right when there becomes a pool for your product when you start seeing people reacting to your product in a, a different way than they were before. If you start seeing your sales cycles become shorter, if you start seeing your buyer telling you things, you know, about your differentiating your differentiation and about how you stick out as opposed to other competitors or other platforms. I think when you start getting that pool that you're nearing or have achieved product market fit, I, I think one could argue it's already too late. Right. Because at that point, like I said, if you make that conscious decision, you're probably a quarter away. So I think as a founder, you, you kind of want to hone in to where you're nearing that moment of product market fit and to the best of your ability. Try to identify when you think that is and when you feel like you're really approaching it and you might be a couple of months out. That might be the right time. At least that's the way that I looked at it for our business. Got it. It's the right time to kind of think about expanding and scaling the sales team. Very interesting approach. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that you did not go, a lot of organizations would go down the marketing path, right? And they would say, hey, we're going to, we're going to scale, we're going to, we're going to grow with marketing. And maybe later on, we'll introduce salespeople on our team, or whether it's customer success, whatever it is. But, but you've gone from an outbound perspective and growing the team from from that angle. I, I love that. Are there, Theo, are there any other mistakes that come to mind? I do want to ask a couple of rapid fire questions before I kind of go there. Are there any uh, rapid, any uh, other mistakes that you can think of that you think it's worth covering? 
based based on what you just said, right? You kind of just gave that other perspective of you know maybe some founders prefer to invest in marketing. I, I think it really does come down to what it is that you're building. What kind of company are you? Are you a B two B SaaS targeting enterprise clients? Are you building a B two B SaaS where your customer acquisition strategy is through some type of freemium or product led growth motion? Right, because depending on on how it is that you want to acquire your clients, that's going to answer the question of what kind of organization you want to build and where you want to invest your money. Right, obviously, if if this is about a, a freemium motion, you're not hiring enterprise, you, you know, expensive salespeople, at least not initially. You, you're you're probably investing in that marketing channel, finding ways to put this in front of your adopters and your users. If that's the, the the type of solution that you're bringing to market, if you're selling through a channel, right? Maybe you're not scaling a, a sales team. What you're doing is actually just bringing on board resellers, or or maybe it's an MSP, you know, a, a managed service provider, a systems integrator that you want to to sign up and register. You right? You want to understand what type of partner is the best fit. And then again, if you're trying to to, to scale a direct enterprise or just just a direct sales channel? Are you looking for full cycle AEs? Do you want to introduce a a sales development function? So it, you know, where you invest as a founder, it it really, obviously, it just depends a lot on what kind of business it is that you want to build. And, and of course, what, what are, what are the financials behind it? What are the unit economics? What, What is it going to cost to acquire a client is obviously extremely important. All of those, all of those economics of the business is extremely important factors into all those decisions. I I love that the fact that you say that. I feel like there is a there is a lot of hype around product led growth to a point that a lot of people talk about. Hey, that is the only right way. That is the holy grail of what you should be going for. And if you go any other way. You're, you know, you're either backwards or, or you're not thinking right. And, and usually this happens when there is a, there's a great amount of hype around something, right? It's like, oh, you're not investing in Bitcoin? Well, you've completely lost your mind because Bitcoin is just going through the roof. But when, when it crashes, nobody talks about it. And I love that you put that into, put that into perspective that, hey, man, it, it all depends, there are so many factors that need to be taken into consideration. And yes, it could be a great model, but it, it all depends on the business that you're building and the type of customers that you're serving and yada, yada, yada. So I, I think that's an amazing point that you, uh, you, you, you brought up here. Theo, before we go into the rapid fire questions, is there anything else that on this topic, on building a acquisition channel, on you know landing large accounts, on mistakes, is there anything that you think we should talk about that it's that that could be valuable that we haven't touched on? I, I guess the last thing that benefited us was just leveraging warm introductions and ne- leveraging networks. Right, most people. I mean, just think about yourself. Do you feel more comfortable meeting with a stranger if they're being introduced to you by a mutual friend? Or do you feel more comfortable giving that person your time if it's through a cold call or a cold email or some type of cold outreach? As a founder, I think you you really need to make sure you are investing so much of your time into networking, building your own brand, finding you know people who are willing to support you in some way, asking people, feeling comfortable just to ask people for help because it's going to pay massive dividends for the business if you're able to leverage those relationships to break the ice with some of those customers. Um, I, I really can't 
emphasize that enough and, and just the role that networking has played, right? As exhausted as you're going to be as a founder, right? You're up all night dealing with product stuff and then you're you're working all day trying to, to, to expand your business prospect network, build process, whatever it is that you're doing. And then early the next morning, you know, there's an event that you need to travel an hour and a half to get to or you need to wake up for that 6 a.m. flight. It is so important just to put yourself out there as a founder to try to network as much as possible so you can leverage that to your own your own business's success. Because when you're a founder, especially in the early days, you really kind of are the brand, right? Before your company has the brand, you are the brand. Um, so really trying to leverage that as much as possible. I love the fact that you're like, you just got to ask. And it's just so many amazing things. I mean, I can tell, I can give multiple examples about myself and, and our company that, and, and I don't know what your premise or, or thinking is around, hey, you just got to ask. But I know for me, there's been situations that we're, I'm not talking about sales. I'm talking about many different aspects of the business. And you ask and, you know, these answers pour in and it just completely changes your mindset. It just completely changes the way you approach something that, and it can change the trajectory of the business. But it also baffles me how little we do that. And if we double, triple 10 times the, the number of times we just ask, hey, how do you do this? Or how did you accomplish this? Or hey, would you be open to helping us on, the, on this thing? The amount of positivity and positive responses that you're going to get and the impact that that's going to have on, on you in the business is mind boggling. And I love that you touched on that. Absolutely. And I, you start to see it with founders too. It's funny, like, you know, founders are pretty ambitious, for the most part, pretty ambitious people, right? A lot of founders can a lot of founders don't necessarily need to be founders. They can go get a great job somewhere and they can, you know, make solid money and, and probably be really happy, but there's something nudging them. There's something that that is kind of putting them down that path, that journey to become an entrepreneur. I think, at least for me, I, I remember when I was, a, a, eventually I was just like, what is there to lose? Like I, asking people for help, asking, you know, for support if you need it or just, can you assist me with this introduction? Like at, you kind of just get to a point as a founder, you're like, why wouldn't I ask, right? I'm, I'm already putting, <laughs> I'm placing such a big bet. I'm taking such a big risk. It is silly not to ask this question because the worst that could happen, someone says no, and I'm exactly where I already am today. Or yeah, or so, they just don't respond. Or they just don't respond. Did, yeah. did you see that? Did you see that blurb? I, I watched it recently. It was just a, like a 30 second video of Steve Jobs talking about when he was a teenager and he, he was just so interested in. It's like he asked hardware. Bell Labs or some or, or Xerox or something, right? I, I, yeah, I, I thought it was Hewlett, like Hewlett Packard. It was, it was so, he called just someone, a leader in an industry, he just found their name in the yellow pages, right? the yellow pages and, and got their contact information, gave them a cold call, said, Hey, I'm a 12, my name's Steve Jobs. I'm a, you know, whatever, a 12, 13 year old. I'm really interested in, in what you're doing. Can I have a couple spare parts so I can build, build my own computer so I can build something. And he said it turned into an internship, right? He, he didn't just get parts. He actually got an internship at the company. And he's like, all I did was ask. It's just kind of a microcosm for, you, you know, just ask. And you, I think a lot of people would be amazed about what kind of doors that could open. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Have you read the State of ABM and APAC report yet? 
If you have, you'll know that 59% of marketing leaders are intending to increase their ABM investment in the coming year. Even bigger news is 0% of survey respondents are going to decrease their investment. It's an exciting time for ABM in the region. Discover the state of account-based marketing in APAC today. Download the full report at abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report. That's abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report. Theo, let's jump into some rapid fire questions. I want to get your opinion on some of these as well before we wrap up. So the first thing I want to ask you is what's one resource? This could be a book, a blog, a podcast, whatever it is that has had a profound impact on the way you either work or, or live. What comes to mind? Right now, I'm I'm listening to the All In podcast. Have you been listening to that? I haven't heard of that. All In. The, the All In podcast. Yeah, it's these four guys, founders, existing founders, ex-founders, VCs. They, they kind of just cover everything across the board from macroeconomic trends to politics to business, to ju- just to national news in, in the business world and, and just kind of how everything collides, <laughs> all, all those different elements collide into one another. And I, I think, I mean, it's become really, really popular, at least into to some of the people that I've been talking to. So the, so the All In podcast is probably my, my top listen right now. It's on Spotify. I love it. I, I think I, um, I, I, just, I just found a few of them on YouTube as well. That's that's uh, that's a great find. Thank you very much for that. I'll uh, I'll Absolutely. I'll check that out. Question number two is: If you could give one advice to B two B salespeople or marketers, what would it be? Listen more than you speak. That's a good one. That's a that's a hard one for salespeople, but that's a great one. That's 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 exactly. It's tough for us, <laughs> but uh, it's important. All right. Question number three: Who are some of the influencers you follow, Theo? There's a lot. I, I follow a lot on LinkedIn. I actually have a page of my sales playbook for my sales team. There's a, a page dedicated to, you know, follow these people on LinkedIn. Let's see a couple names. I, I like a lot of the content that's produced by Josh Braun. He's a sales influencer. There's a lot of good content produced by the 30 Minutes to Presidents Club duo. They produce a lot of good sales content. There's some people in there that provide just on our on our sales playbook page influencers that provide best practices on on how to structure a good cold email, how to structure a good cold call. I find a lot of value in in influencers or who can actually dive into the tactics, right? Not not just providing very high level guidance, but people who are doing the job or have done the job and can actually dive into the weeds to help you do something tangibly. Those are a lot of the people that I'd recommend to. To, to my sales team and any salesperson. I love it. I, I haven't I haven't heard of the 30 minute to president club duo. I uh, got to check that one out. But Josh Braun, obviously his content is absolutely gold and uh, and entertaining and entertaining. It is. It is. That's that's a, that's a great one. Last one is what excites you about B2B today? B2B, I mean, B2B SaaS, I, I, I'm really excited by the, this is going to sound silly, but it's just the cybersecurity industry. When I got into it 10 years ago, I remember just being blown away, like I, just how 
massive how fast it was growing and then fast forward 10 years and and if i look back on that time uh it was really just the tip of the iceberg and now if i'm kind of thinking more big picture i still think today is still just the tip of the iceberg for just cybersecurity as a whole and selling cybersecurity it's you know you, you kind of look at recessions you look at pandemics and what typically happens to cybersecurity budgets still grow, right? Because hacking still occurs. We've obviously seen in the last year a lot of unfortunate things happening around the world, but you know, kind of this collision of physical warfare colliding with cyber warfare and you know, the impact that that could have on nation states, the impact that could have on businesses, both large and small. So I'm, I'm definitely bullish on the cybersecurity industry and just the overall B2B SaaS and cybersecurity space. Another thing that excites me is, you know, just seeing founders win, right? I mean, you see all the the amazing stories over the last couple of years of just amazing exits and amazing IPOs, you know, just watching founders go through those journeys, right? Just those 12 years of grinding to you know, ultimately reaching that milestone of of a, a great exit or an IPO, you, you know, hearing the stories about those founders or, or having just kind of tales in the trenches from those events is definitely something that I think any founder would, would get really excited about. Man, 12 years of grind. I hear you. Now that sounds, uh, that sounds, that does sound great. And, and yeah, there's a lot of great news out there as, as as much as there is negative news around cybersecurity and, and and not so great there's also the uh the awesome exits and and amazing inspirational stories out there so theo really appreciate it man this was a great conversation i really enjoyed it it's always great to have a founder on the podcast a b2b founder so uh, thank you so much for your time thank you very much for coming on the pod i enjoyed it as well thanks for having me Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Samito with additional editing by Liza Maywald and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make this show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Xgrowth. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just interested in a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.